Hi, this is Chris Nessie from the House of EdTech podcast. Welcome to the Google Teacher Podcast Archive. I used to produce and edit the Google Teacher Podcast, hosted by Matt Miller and Casey Bell. You can enjoy the podcast once again, and be sure to visit the new website, chrisnessy.com slash googleteacherpod. Please note that any of the show note links mentioned in the episodes are no longer valid, but if you go to chrisnessy.com, dot com slash Google Teacher Pod, you can search the archive and check out the show notes for each and every episode of the Google Teacher Podcast. Thank you for your continued support, and may the Googles be with you. Hi, I'm Batsheva Frankel from Overthrowing Education, a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Welcome to episode 103 of the Google Teacher Tribe podcast, your source for the latest Google for Education news, tips, tricks, and ideas you can use in class tomorrow. I'm Casey Bell from Shake Up Learning. And I'm Matt Miller from Ditch That Textbook. We're still trying to get used to that three number episode number, by the way, folks. It's like, yeah, it's tripping me up. (laughs) Right? Yeah, exactly. So in today's episode, we're going to be talking about sharing because sharing is caring. And Google does give us lots of opportunities to share files with our students, share files with colleagues and all of that. And I'll bet there are probably some ways to share you might not have known about. So Casey and I are going to run down some of our favorites, as well as, of course, we've got Google News and Updates. We've got some Great stuff waiting for us in the mailbag. And we got a couple blog posts to share. Huh, share. See how I ended that? Casey, are you ready to share? As long as it's not TMI, Matt, I'm good to go. Let's go. Hey, y'all, let's talk about what's been going on with G Suite and updates to Google, our favorite products here. And in fact, probably the most talked about product on this podcast is Google Slides. And we got a pretty simplistic update, but I think it's pretty awesome that they added this option. So when you go into a Google Slides presentation and you make a copy you now have a couple of extra checkboxes. So you can actually remove the speaker notes from the copy. So if you're sharing your presentation with someone else and they want to make their own notes, you can copy it without having to copy the speaker notes. You can also just select certain slides to copy instead of copying the entire slide deck. So I spend a lot of time in slides, so I think this is going to be pretty helpful to me, but I think it'll be really useful for teachers and students as well. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I think, um, you know, so often we see other people's, or at least I see, um, other people's slide decks, different things that they've shared with us, or you get something at a conference, or, you know, you you get a, a teaching material from someone else, and you only want to use just a few parts of it. And so you make a copy of it, and then just going through and deleting all those other slides, we could totally avoid all of that now. So really, really like this new feature. This is pretty cool. So with the new year, with 2020, um, the Consumer Electronics Show comes around. This is always happens at the beginning of the year. 
when that happens, you start to see some of the new products that are coming out as far as consumer electronics go. And of course, you know, Chromebooks are one part of that puzzle. And so we're starting to see some new um, Chromebooks. So we've got a post here called New Chromebooks for 2020. So if you want to dig down through all of these, you know, you've got a variety of different things. You know, instead of telling you about all the products, I don't want to make it sound like a sales pitch or a commercial for any of the Chromebooks or anything. But here are some of the things that I'm seeing as I look through some of these different products. I'm seeing some styluses. And so, you know, having a stylus available on a Chromebook has not been, you know, I've, I've seen some of them that have had them, but, but not all. And so, um, you know, that may, may be something that we start to see a little bit more. I'm seeing some color. In fact, there's, there's one, uh, Samsung Chromebook I'm looking at right now that has a bright red keyboard. And for all of those, you know, all of those black Chromebooks that we see all over the place, it's kind of nice to have a little splash of color. I'm also seeing a keyboard that detaches that is magnetic. So, you know, this makes me think of the, you know, the Surface tablets that Microsoft has where they have those little lightweight keyboards that that attach magnetically. So we may start to see even more of those. And then um, another thing I'm seeing here is the, um, you know, the ability to swivel and flip around into tablet mode out of the keyboard mode, you know, so you can flip your your keyboard all the way around to the back and make it like a tablet, which I know is not so much a like brand new feature. But with some of these features that have been around a little bit, you know, like like this um, 360 degree hinge, these are some of the features that are becoming more and more prevalent um, as time goes on, you know, those features that used to be like premium features that only the top end stuff has. And then after time, they start to come down to the regular models. So we may start to see some of those, um, some of those features in the classroom. And of course, with anything else, it'll be interesting to see how teachers and students use some of those when they show up in the classroom. I am really intrigued by the Lenovo IdeaPad Duet Chromebook. Okay, first of all, they should have made it an easier name. That's too many words, but you're right. It looks like the Surface. It looks a lot like the keyboard that I use with my iPad Pro. And Mm -hmm. it is only 10 inches, though. So, you know. Using a keyboard on those small screens can be limiting. I'm I'm worried about what we're doing to these kiddos' eyes anyway with these tiny little Chromebooks. But the price point is two seventy nine, and it includes the keyboard and stand. So I'm oh, wow. really interested to see how many schools go this route, um, yeah. giving them the flexibility of the tablet, making it more mobile, being able to you know remove the keyboard, and sort of the best of both worlds idea. So. That's mm-hmm. that's the one that caught my eye. So lots of exciting Chrome updates coming our way, especially with this new hardware. And I have a little announcement. So if you didn't know this, the Doodle for Google 2020 is now open for submissions. So the Doodle for Google contest has a theme this year in showing kindness. And this is the 12th year of this contest. So I can't believe it's been going on that long. I'm I'm starting to feel really old, y'all. This is something that is an extraordinary way for K-12 students. So this is for all ages to get creative, 
to share their artistic abilities and their creative hearts is sort of the focus of this one. And y'all, if you haven't participated in this, it's pretty awesome. Almost every time I share this in a presentation, I have a teacher in the room who had a student who's made it to a certain final. They do regional finals. They do all kinds of different levels. But listen to this. This year's national winner will have their artwork featured on the Google homepage. That's that's the big awesome part, right? They also receive a $30,000 college scholarship. What? And the school will receive a $50,000 technology package from Google. So it's all good, y'all. It's great for the student. It's great for your school. And we all know we need to work on integrating a little more creativity into our classroom. So I feel like Doodle for Google is the perfect option for this. And how about that that topic too? How do you show kindness? That's that's so cool. That, and I think I'll be really interested to see what what students end up doing and what direction they go with that. Uh, the last one we wanted to share with you is something that has come to Google Forms. If you haven't noticed, Google Forms does have a little slicker interface, a little slicker design, and um, so that has come to the web as well as to mobile. Here's, here's something that Matt didn't know that you probably did know is that um, I can go straight into my Google Chrome browser on my phone, which is an Android phone, and I can create and edit a form right from there, but it's not that limited. You know how sometimes you, you go onto the web browser and you try to create things that you could create on your desktop or your laptop and the mobile version just isn't good? This version of Google Forms that you can run right off the browser on a mobile device is really pretty good. If you find yourself, I don't know if you will, but if you find yourself in a position where you're on the go, you're on your mobile device and you need to make a quick Google Form, you're going to be able to do it and it's going to be pretty easy. So um, we have links to all of the things we've talked about there as well as everything else in the episode on our show notes at googleteachertribe.com slash 103. All right, Tribe, we're going to be talking about sharing today. Remember, sharing is caring. And so we're going to find some ways that we can take some of these Google files that we work on, that our students work on, that we really want to get to other people and find some easy ways to do it. You know, of course, we are leaps and bounds better than what it used to be way back in the day when you would save a Microsoft Word document to your desktop, you would attach it to an email, you would send it to somebody, they would change it, they would say version two in the file name and send it back to you. And then after you bounced it back and forth and back and forth, your file name would read you know, like version two, one, a use or new or, you know, just those those file names got really crazy after a while. I don't know, maybe that was just me, but um it, and then you didn't know which one you wanted to use. I'm just I'm just impressed that your friends actually renamed it because none of the people oh. that I worked ever <laughs> renamed them. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, every once in a while you got lucky on that kind of thing. So um, so anyway, one of the great things about all of the Google tools that we have available to us is that we have lots of ways that we can share and we can make them available to other people. And so 
you know, let's start with about as basic as it gets. And that's that share button. You know, you do have the share button that's available on so many of the tools on your docs and slides and sheets and drawings and forms and, you know, all of that stuff. And so when you click on that share button, you're able to either send by email, send your, um, you know, send a link and give access to somebody by email or the one that I always seem to use is that I like to hit the get shareable link button. And if you've never tried to click on the little drop down menu that comes up with the the shareable link, uh, there's an option that says more and it gives you lots of flexibility. So you can make it as um, open as public on the web. You can make it turned off so that it's just private. And then of course you can grant access um, to let people edit, let them comment, let them view, that kind of thing. Something that someone asked me the other day was once you've created a Google file and you change the sharing settings, do you need to create a brand new share link? And the answer to that is no, because if you look at the guts of the share link, that's the file ID. So that's the way that Google identifies that one particular file. And that file ID doesn't change. So if you have a share link that you've shared with someone else and you change the sharing setting, it does not change the link whatsoever. That file ID stays the same. So it all ends up being the same whether you, you know, whether you change the sharing settings or not. I have to tell you that teaching this skill is a little bit difficult for the newbies, right? I I don't know about you, Matt, but this can get really confusing really fast for new Google users. They don't really understand all of these different levels of sharing. And so I will tell you just from lessons learned, when I first started teaching Google, I would try to explain this in the beginning, and that is not the way to do it. They need to experience Google on a basic level before you really dig in because those sharing settings just won't make sense. And so over the years, I have created a little guide to teach sharing. And I, I, I just call it the guide to Google, Google Drive sharing and walk you through all six levels of sharing. So it's it's a free download, a little PDF that you can use and and use it to teach other teachers. Because I know a lot of our listeners are kind of in that position. You probably all listening right now understand most of those basics, but you work with some teachers who need a little bit of help. And so that's who that is designed for. But the other thing that I feel like is missing, so while we're talking about that share button, that is the most powerful button in Google to me. That button makes all the difference because the number one reason to go Google is collaboration. And so many teachers just start out, and that's okay, that they start out just with their own files. And so they don't share them, or maybe they share them with one other person just to view. But when you really get teachers into that document where you have the chaos of multiple collaboration, it's a good thing to experience. It, it is chaotic. It is, you know, a little bit frustrating at times, but so teachers understand how that works in their classrooms as well. But I always, always, always just teach that first basic step of share with an email address, you know, share it with your friend so you can kind of see how that works at first and then build up after they've done a little bit more with Google and have more files and things like that. The other thing to understand is the G Suite for Education account is different from your personal account. So in your personal account, you don't have as many levels of sharing because in your school, 
you oftentimes have the ability just to share with anyone who is in your school district. So whoever is in your domain has access. And that is usually the quick share button that you can turn on instead of going to advanced. And so I always want to teach teachers how to go to that advanced section and to see all of those options and what they all mean. And, you know, does this mean I'm going to show up first in a Google search if I make it public? No, you're not going to be first and you will have some, you know, what what are those little animals that pop up when people are viewing anonymously. And so that's another thing that can be hard to understand with the sharing is what does that mean when I see the little anonymous animal versus seeing, you know, like right now, Matt and I are in a dock and I see Matt's little avatar. So we know each other and we're shared just specifically with each other, but being able to see all of those different levels and to help explain this chaotic sort of thing with our teachers can can definitely help them make more use of it and to get them collaborating more. There's a couple of other ways that we can use those same sharing features, but kind of kick it up a notch. Um, I want to tell you about a Chrome extension called Sir Links a lot. So I've got to, I've got to give a quick shout out because the creator of Sir Links a lot is a fellow Hoosier, you know, from the state of Indiana, just like me. It was created by Kurt Schliebaum, who is a, an educator in Seymour, Indiana. And so he created the, Sir links a lot extension. And what you do with this extension is you open up a Google file and you click on the extension and it gives you a whole bunch of these um, buttons that you can use to create different links. You can create a force copy link, a preview link, a template link, and a PDF link just by using this extension and then clicking on the button. So no need to copy the link and change the part at the end and all of that. Actually, that's something that we should, we should, we're going to touch on here in just a minute is how to create all of those. I'm kind of getting ahead of myself a little bit. I was just excited about sharing this with you. Um, <laughs> really, that's what it was. The other thing, of course, that's fun about this is that Sir links a lot sounds an awful lot like Sir mix a lot. And I was reading through the overview of the, um, of the extension. <laughs> and it says, do you like to manipulate Google app URLs to meet the needs of your students? Well, you're in luck because Sir links a lot extension has your back with big round buttons in your face. Oh my God, Becky. <laughs> so if you are a child of the eighties, like I am, or if you know about Sir mix a lot, I'm not going to give it all away here, but there's a little piece of humor in that that I totally loved. So Sir Links a lot Chrome extension, go check it out. Yes, I love that. I love that he has created this to make this even easier because hacking the URL is a little bit more difficult for some teachers to grasp. So most likely the techie people get it, but let's let's walk through. If you're not using the extension or maybe you don't have access to install that extension, you can actually make some quick changes to the URL links to create different types of sharing. So for instance, I think one of the, the number one ways to do this is to force someone to make a copy. And we really had to use this a lot before we had Google Classroom, but forget Google Classroom for a moment because Google Classroom does its own thing. If you just have maybe a lesson plan that a teacher wants to copy and make their own, you can simply go into the link, change the word edit to copy. 
Now, you do have to make sure that this is still shared, at least at the level of anyone with the link can view. So they have to have viewing rights. If you keep it private, that link is still not going to work. But once you change that word from edit to copy, then copy and paste that entire URL, throw it in an email or put it somewhere where that person can make the copy and they'll get a prompt and they'll see it on the screen. Would you like to make a copy? And that is a way to keep them from accidentally editing your stuff. That's that's really why I oftentimes had to use it because people would forget, oh, that one's not mine. I didn't make the copy yet. So, of course, they can only do that if they have edit rights. But being able to do that really can help us share in other ways outside of Google Classroom. So I do have a blog post on this, and I just got a message on Twitter this week of someone who tried to do that and put it in Google Classroom. Doesn't work in Google Classroom. Google Classroom kind of overrides other types of sharing, and that's to our advantage. It's supposed to make the sharing piece easier. So with Google Classroom, you don't have to worry about most of the things that we've talked about so far because it automatically shares things. Shares things. So in Classroom, instead of forcing a copy, I would attach it and tell Google Classroom to make a copy for each student. That's right. There's that little uh, drop down menu that goes right next to those attachments. That's exactly what I was going to say, too. That's um, probably I, I would say that's probably in the top 10, maybe in the top five of um, my favorite features on Google Classroom is the ability to do that. So um, another one that that makes an awful lot of sense in uh, certain situations, if we want to share files with others, is to create a shared folder. Um, now, this is something that this isn't brand new um, when it comes to using Google Drive, but some people don't use it. Or, you know, for me for a while, I knew that it was there. I just didn't really think of it as a possibility. And so really with this, it's just as simple as going to Google Drive and creating a new folder, you know, using the new button. And then we want to hit that share button to be able to change who is able to access that folder. And then you've got some some abilities to change the settings within that too, so that people are just able to see what's in it, if they're able to contribute new things to it and that kind of thing. So um, I have found this super useful, especially um, for sharing things outside of Google Classroom. So, you know, putting things into Google Classroom is probably easier than this if you have like a class of students, you know, you just um, stick it in the classwork page, you know, under, you know, materials or, or whatever. Um, that's probably an easier route to go. But if you have a whole bunch of files, especially if you want to share them with other teachers or with parents or people in the community or whatever, um, creating that folder and then changing the sharing settings so that other people are able to see it that makes a pretty easy way to take all of those files and make them available to other people. So I'm going to come back to this idea of make a copy because I almost feel like this entire episode could have been (laughs) just about ways to make a copy. Hashtag, by the way, that is a hashtag make a copy because one of the skills that every teacher needs to learn how to do is to make their own copies. So to just simply go to file make a copy inside doc sheets, slides, wherever you are, make sure you spread this gospel everywhere you go. (laughs) Teachers need to know how to do this. Students need to know how to do this. And you would be surprised at how many still do not understand that or understand how it works. So not only do you 
just go to file, make a copy. So if you can view it, most likely you can make a copy, although it can be blocked. So when you create and share, you can actually block that so people can view it and not make a copy if you want to protect some content. But at the same time, here's something else to know. Uh, And I just released this week a Google Sheet that I told everybody was a living document, meaning I'm still editing and making changes and will throughout the year. But if people wanted to make a copy, they can. So I got the question, okay, if I make my own copy, am I going to see the changes that you make? No. Once you make a copy, the original is not going to magically update your copy. Your copy belongs to you. You can do whatever you want with it. You can edit it. You can rename it. You can save it wherever you want in your Google Drive. But those two things do not sync. And teachers face this a lot in Google Classroom, too, when they use that feature we just mentioned about making a copy for each student. Once that template has been created and students have those copies, if you change the template, it does not change those copies that the students have. So just keep that in mind. There is something else to sort of understand in this process. So if you happen to have heard about the dynamic learning with Google Toolkit that I released earlier this week, it's a Google Sheet. And so I tried to explain how, of course, you can make a copy if you want, but because I'm still changing it, There's also a little button at the top that is the drive symbol with a plus sign. And when you click that, you can actually add my file into your drive, meaning you'll just be able to view it and search for it in your drive. I still don't give edit access, but that way when you access it, you're accessing my uh, original file and you will see what I change throughout the year. Casey, while you were talking about making a copy and you said that it is possible to block that, if you happen to be in one of those situations where you have you know, a document or a file that you don't want people to make a copy of, it's just as simple as this. You would want to start within a file that you own and you hit that share button and then you hit advanced. And under advanced, there is an option that says... Uh, disable options to download, print, and copy for commenters and viewers. So if you have one of those situations where you need to do that, that's it's it's really just as as easy as doing that. So you've got lots and lots of ways to be able to take those Google files and share them with other people. Of course, you know, we've touched on a bunch of them, but we haven't even touched on all of them yet. So um, if you want to dig into some of the, the resources that we touched on, some of the blog posts so that you can learn how to do any of the things that we've talked about here, you can go to our show notes at googleteachertribe.com slash 103. There's a letter in your mailbox. Hey, you know what? This is all your mail. Hey, maybe I'll give you a call sometime. You've got mail. It's time to jump into the mailbag, y'all. So Matt and I have a couple of things to share with you from the tribe. We have this wonderful voice message from Jennifer Conti. She's from Ohio, and she listened to episode 102 on YouTube tricks. So take it away, Jennifer. Hello, Casey and Matt. This is Jennifer Conti from Kent, Ohio. I'm the tech integration specialist at Immaculate Heart of Mary Grade School in Cuyahoga Falls, Ohio. And I just finished listening to the Google Teacher Tribe episode 102. And I was fascinated by all of the YouTube information that you guys shared. I especially love 
the info on the YouTube audio library. We have a small little live studio that we do our morning announcements at each morning. And so the lesson that I used yesterday after listening to your podcast episode was to have the students go into that YouTube audio library and pull out either a sound effect or some sort of audio clip that they could use in a segment on our Good Morning Mustang show. And I've had three of the students already complete that. They each found a sound effect, um, one for the weather that we're going to use later this week on Thursday. Um, and another one was for, um, I believe it was bells ringing for mass that we have on Friday and all school mass. Um, so I just wanted to say thank you for sharing all of that YouTube information on the episode because it came in handy and right away I was able to use it that day. I appreciate all you guys do and thanks again. I love that she took this and ran with it. You know, it's so easy to take some of these tips and bring them into your classroom. So thank you so much for sharing that with us, Jennifer. And by the way, if you haven't listened to 102, Matt and I talked about the fact that our Google Teacher Tribe theme song actually comes from the YouTube library and we couldn't remember the name of it. So our producer, Chris Nessie, sent us a message after he listened to the episode, and it is called Cockpit. So if you want to search the YouTube audio library and listen to our theme song, just because you find it so fun, I'm sure <laughs> you can listen to it at your heart's content or use it in your own projects. Right. Yes, absolutely. So um, Chris Nessie to the rescue yet again. All right, we've got a question that came in from Kathy Hilby from Wisconsin. And so this um, this was a, a message she sent us that had a handful of questions. So we're going to touch on two of them in, in this. Um, so she just listened to the YouTube episode as well. She said, great episode on YouTube tips and tricks. Some questions. Number one, do you know if schools are using YouTube Live to share concerts or performances? Not having used it myself, I'm wondering if it would be appropriate. So... As far as question number one goes there, um, I think the answer is yes, that it is definitely possible to use YouTube Live to share concerts and performances. Um, I do know that it's not as easy as turn on your webcam and start streaming. Um, a lot of times you've got to use another platform to be able to stream live. Um, in fact, I've been Ooh. kind of... Yeah, right. Exactly. Um, <laughs> I've I've been kind of tinkering with one called OBS, which I think is like open broadcasting software. Um, but it is not for the faint of heart. Like it's not super easy to set up. But if you've got someone that can help you set it up, you certainly could. And the thing about concerts and performances like this is that they are by nature public performances already. So if the students have already consented to performing in front of a public audience, I mean, basically, that's that's giving the consent to be able to to do this, I would think. Again, I'm not a lawyer. This is just me thinking through it with you. So, Hey, this is producer Chris, and I just wanted to break in here real quick. Uh, if you also want to check out StreamYard.com, that would also be a really great option for you to easily stream things that you're doing at your school, whether it's concerts or other types of performances or events easily to places like YouTube or Facebook or to Twitter for your school's social media accounts. Check out StreamYard.com. Back to Matt and Casey. 
And then she had a second question. She said, um, the tip to insert videos in Google Slides to avoid suggested videos is great. Um, because during the episode, we talked about how if you don't like the suggested videos or the ads or anything, just insert a video into a slide in Google Slides and click present and play the video there and you don't get the suggested videos. And she says, I'm wondering if this could be an efficient way for teachers to organize videos instead of using a playlist. It allows notes about the video to be added in the speaker notes, plus the presentation could easily be shared among grade level team members so they could add videos to, that they find too. I would say yes, absolutely. I really like that idea. Um, if the playlist just isn't your jam or if you want something with a little bit more design freedom, then you know, creating a collection of videos in a Google slide presentation could totally, totally work. So Kathy, great questions, great suggestion. And thanks so much for sending that in. And if you're like Kathy and you've got a question for us or something cool that you're doing in your classroom, you know, we do love to hear those things that get applied directly out of the um, out of an episode and into your classroom. Please, please, please do go to googleteachertribe.com and send us a message. Hint, hint, we do love voice messages so we can put your voice on the show too. And we would love to feature you on an upcoming episode of the podcast. All right, Tribe, we've got a couple of quick blog posts to share with you that you might want to know about, and then we're going to wrap this episode up. So I just recently shared a new post on the Ditch That Textbook blog called Four Classroom Test and Quiz Strategies to Avoid the Gotcha Game. So the um, Ditch That Textbook Digital Summit, the free online conference that I do for teachers every year, um, one of the sessions in that really got me thinking about tests and quizzes. Because I know for me as a student, when I was a student in school, I felt like I had gotcha played on me sometimes where, you know, I would study and study for, you know, a quiz or a test. I'd feel like I had all of the stuff. I would go into the test and I would start answering questions. They'd be multiple choice. And all of a sudden, there would be one question that picked on one little piece of information that I hadn't gotten. And I ended up getting you know, my grade uh, docked because I didn't know the answer to that. And it felt like the teacher or the test or whatever was going up. Oh, gotcha. I found the thing that you didn't know. And so it had me thinking, how can we change the way that we do tests and quizzes a little bit so that kids don't feel like they're playing a game of gotcha against the teacher and they're empowered to show what they know instead of being penalized for the little things that they didn't know. And so there's four strategies in there. One of my favorite ones is in everything I know but wasn't asked question. If you put a question like that at the end of a test, everything I know about this topic but I wasn't asked on the test, then the students are able to share what they know that they weren't asked. And it's just a new route and a different route for them to be able to show mastery of a topic. So if there was one or two questions that they didn't know, maybe they can fill that in with some information that they did know to show that they have indeed mastered that topic at a at a higher level. So um, there's just four strategies on that post if you want to go check that out. Hopefully there's something that you can use. I love this post. I think that particularly that last strategy you shared is brilliant. I'm a firm believer that students should not be surprised 
by any of the ways they're assessed, that this should be part of our clear expectations. You know, I felt that way too. I felt like sometimes some the questions and you would tell the teacher, or I remember my kids even catching me, you didn't go over this. You didn't teach us this. We don't, we didn't talk about this, you know, and that shouldn't be the case that we should give clear expectations, whether it's a, a quiz or just a discussion, whatever it is. But I really like that adding that question, what else do you know that I didn't ask? Because that's going to help you design and improve that assessment as well. So thanks for sharing that. I have a couple of things to share and a couple of freebies to share. So I lost my mind this week because both of these posts came out in the same week. I just launched a new podcast series. series. Let me say that again. I just launched a new podcast series called It's Not About Google, and it's four parts. So part one has been released at the time of this recording. And with this series, I released a free dynamic learning with Google toolkit. So I have essentially taken my dynamic learning framework from my book, aligned it with strategies for the classroom, and then giving you recommendations for Google tools that will help you accomplish these tasks in the classroom. It is a Google Sheet. Like I mentioned earlier, it's a living Google Sheet so that you can see as this progresses and grows because I'm sure I'm not done with it yet. But I just wanted to make this something practical that everyone can access. So um, stay tuned for parts two through four. That is still coming. And then I also just created a free ebook book for tech coaches. So it's called the top 10 secrets of an awesome tech coach. And they may not be the biggest secrets in the world, but I'm giving you all my tips, my best practices, links to resources, templates, all kinds of things to help anyone who's in that tech coach, instructional coach, digital learning coach, whatever you want to call it. If you are in some type of leadership position, I think you'll find this useful. Yeah, folks, if you haven't checked out this uh, Dynamic Learning with Google Toolkit, this thing is legit. I mean, it is packed full of stuff. There's an entire spreadsheet with it. You de- this is definitely something you want to go check out. So you can find a link to that as well as everything else we've talked about in the show at googleteachertribe.com slash 103. All right, tribe, sharing is caring. Remember, and now you've got lots of ways to be able to share those Google files with your students, with other educators, with other people. And hopefully you found something in this episode that you didn't know before that was useful to you. And um, we just want to say that we really appreciate you. Um, appreciate you listening. We appreciate having this you know, group of passionate educators that are coming together and sharing ideas um, on the Twitter hashtag through the podcast and everything. And Casey and I really do um, appreciate the opportunity to serve all of you. And so, um, you know, if you haven't gotten a chance to subscribe to the show, we would love for you to do it. If you do subscribe and you appreciate the podcast, uh, we would love for you to review and rate the show on iTunes if you get an opportunity to. Yes. And we love hearing from you in all the places, all the things everywhere. Please leave us some feedback, share your ideas. This is probably my favorite part of the podcast is learning from you, the tribe. So keep those ideas coming and be sure that you leave us a voice message. Hint, hint. We do love those. 
So that wraps up another episode of the Google Teacher Tribe podcast. We will see you on the next episode. Bye, y'all. Thanks for listening to the Google Teacher Tribe podcast. Keep up with every new episode by subscribing on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher, and by visiting googleteachertribe.com. Get in on the conversation on Twitter by using the hashtag GTTribe. Until next time, keep harnessing the G Suite power, and may the Googles be with you. Thank you once again for listening to the Google Teacher Podcast Archive. For the latest on Matt Miller, be sure to visit his website, ditchthattextbook.com. For the latest on Casey Bell, be sure to visit her website, shakeuplearning.com. And to keep up with me and get the latest in education technology, be sure to visit my website, chrisnessy.com. And I invite you to listen to the House of EdTech Podcast.